Well, amen. We serve a great God. And to praise His name. Joshua chapter 5 is where we will be this morning in this seventh message in our forward series. For those who may be visiting with us today, this is our theme. Fellowship Baptist Church for 2019, um, forward. And we've been preaching from the book of Joshua. And uh, in this series, my desire has been twofold. Uh, first of all, to challenge you individually, and then to challenge us corporately, us uh, together, not to settle for what God has done for us in the past. Celebrate it? Absolutely. Rejoice in it? Absolutely. I'm thankful for what God has done in my life. I'm thankful for what God has done in the history of Fellowship Baptist Church. But let's not live there. Let's not stay there. Let's purpose together to move forward into the new things that God has for us in the future. And get an amen right there. Listen, that's our goal. And really, that's the theme of the book of Joshua. Going forward, moving forward, gaining ground, not staying in the past. In our last time together a couple of weeks ago, we learned that part of this moving forward process is learning to live lives that are holy unto the Lord. This matter of holiness was so important to God that he would not let Joshua and the people move any farther without it. God's desire for his people in the Old Testament and his desire for those of us who are 21st century followers is the same. And that desire is that we be a distinctly different people. Now, I shared some verses of Scripture with you from the writings of Peter in which he instructs us to be holy because God is holy. And in one of those verses, he, he used the term peculiar, that as believers we are to be a peculiar people. Now, may I remind you again today, doesn't mean we're to be weird it doesn't mean we're to be strange. It doesn't mean that we're, we're to be outlandish. But we are supposed to be different. A holy people. Not holier than thou. Okay? It's not what we're talking about. We're not, I'm not talking about some pseudo-spirituality and behavior that puts us on a, a pedestal as being better than others. That's not in this book. That's not holiness. But holy people are to be different, not just in our uh, life now that we're saved. We're to be different than the life we lived before we were saved, is how I want to say it. But we're to also be different from the lifestyles and the way of life 
that the unsaved around us live. And again, please understand me this morning. It's not that we look down on people. It's not that we judge people. Listen, I'm concerned about me. I'm going to answer for me. My responsibility is to live like the Word of God says to live, the best that I know how. And that's your responsibility as a believer. It's not my responsibility to stand here and, and, and look down some pharisaical nose at you and, and judge you and condemn you. you. You answer for you. But it is my responsibility as a preacher of the Word of God to challenge you. And at the end of the day, you make your own decisions. At the end of the day, I'm going to answer to God, how did you handle this book? How did you preach this book? And I want to answer well today. And so I'm going to challenge you in some areas today. And I hope you'll respond well to it. But anyway, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about being a holy people, about being distinctly different. And we talked about a number of things there. We, we said that we are to think differently. And I would submit to you this morning that if we are going to be different, then we have to think different. Because the Bible says, as we think in our heart, so are we. And so, to be different, we must think different. Which means this, we've got to realign our thoughts so that they fall in line with God's thoughts as they are revealed in Scripture. And then as we learn to think differently, we are to live differently. May I remind you here that we're not talking about some, some kind of moral checklist of, of outward restraints where we, where we take care of a few bad habits and we develop a couple of good ones in their place. That's not what we're talking about. As I quoted last time from Kevin DeYoung, a moral checklist doesn't take into consideration the idols of the heart. It may not even have the gospel as part of the equation. And inevitably, checklist spirituality is highly selective. So you end up feeling successful at sanctification because you stayed away from drugs, lost weight, served at the soup kitchen, and renounced styrofoam. But you've ignored gentleness, humility, joy, and sexual purity. That's a good thought. What he's saying is this. If we live our lives and, and consider ourselves holy based upon this checklist of outward things. Then our tendency is going to be to forget what's in the heart. Gentleness. And the things that he talks about there. So listen, being holy is not just about measuring up on the outside. It's also about those inward attributes and those inward characteristics that the Word of God talks about. And so we're to think differently, we're to live differently, a holy people talks differently, and we are to love differently. That was the message a couple of weeks ago. Now, what led us to this thought of being holy, what led us to this thought of being distinctly different, was the act of circumcision that was reintroduced to the Jewish people through God's instructions to their leader, Joshua. That took place in the first part of this chapter. 
the sign of, uh, of circumcision, I won't go preach all of this again, but the sign of circumcision is what set the Jews apart from all of the other nations of the world at that time. So in obedience to God, Joshua circumcised all of the males of Israel. And that include, included adult males as well. And so that brings us to our text today. While these men were healing, and again from what I was able to, uh, uh, to, to find out and, and what was uh, I was the information I was able to find that the, the, the act of adult male circumcision takes two to three weeks for healing. And so while these men were healing, Joshua made his way out of the camp alone and he journeyed the two miles to Jericho. I think there are probably a couple of reasons why, why Joshua did what he did. First of all, um, this may have been some kind of reconnaissance mission of sorts to, to see how, how they were going to go about attacking Jericho. That's going to be our next study, Joshua chapter 6 uh, and the, the battle of Jericho. And Joshua was probably, as a military leader, was probably trying to figure out how are we going to do this. He had seen Jericho before, he, him and, Jay, and, and Caleb and 10 others, they'd seen it before. But as, as a military leader, um, he, it's not something that they had, had any experience with. And beyond that, they undoubtedly lacked the right equipment, things like battering rams and catapults and scaling ladders. When you think about it, all the children of Israel had were swords and arrows and slings and spears, which naturally would seem totally inadequate for the task that lie before them. So Joshua needed to formulate a strategy. But beyond that, beyond just being military in nature, I think there was another purpose personally why Joshua removed himself from the midst of the camp. And I believe it was also a time for him to get alone with the Lord. Undoubtedly, he was feeling the weight of responsibility that was upon him as a leader. If you're in some kind of leadership capacity, which parents, you're in a leadership capacity. As a pastor, I serve in a leadership capacity. As a, 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 somebody in the workforce, you may be a supervisor or, or whatever title you, you've given, and, and you, you work there and you operate there in a capacity of leadership, then you understand the responsibility sometimes that can weigh very heavy on those who are in leadership positions. And, and now none of us are leading a nation. And Joshua was leading a nation of people. And he answered directly to God. Now I know some of those people that you answer to think they're God, but they're really not. But Joshua did answer directly to God. And so he was feeling the weight of the responsibility as the leader of the nation. And no doubt he sensed within his soul the need for God's divine help. Warren Wiersbe said this in his commentary. In Christian ministry, great public victories are won in private. As leaders submit to the Lord and receive their directions from him. It's doubtful that anybody in the camp of Israel knew about their leaders meeting with the Lord, but that meeting made the difference 
between success and failure on the battlefield. And it's while Joshua was alone by Jericho that we read what we read in verse 13. Joshua chapter 5 and, and verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? So you can picture this in your mind. There's Joshua. He thinks he's alone. And he's contemplating the battle. And he's, he's devoting himself to private time with the Lord. And, and all of a sudden he, he looks in one direction, and there's some unfamiliar person standing there, and they've got a sword in their hand, and this sword is drawn, and his first response was something like this, Halt! Who goes there? He's in the military. He said, Are you friend or foe? Are you for us or against us? Identify yourself. And at that point, this individual identifies himself like this he said and he said nay verse 14 but as the captain of the host of the lord am i now come i don't want to get bogged down here but there's really not a lot of disagreement among biblical writers as to who this person is and i'll just give you the most commonly believed and i happen to believe this as well that this is what was known as a Christophany. A Christophany was an Old Testament appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. In other words, this was Jesus. And not merely some angelic being of some sort. And there are a couple of reasons, good reasons, to take that position. First of all, because we learn from the book of Hebrews in the New Testament that Christ is the head of all the angels. If you remember when he was on the cross, uh, he made a statement at one point um, that at any moment he could have 12 legions of angels come and fight for him if he wanted to. A legion was a reference to a Roman army unit of 6,000 soldiers. So 12 legion of angels would have been 72,000 angels. And Jesus said this, they're at my beck and call. I could call them right now. And they would come and get me off this cross. Not a problem. Secondly, is the captain, this captain receives worship. As the second part of verse 14 says, And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And we know from Revelation chapter 22 and verse 8 that if this soldier had been an angel, he would have rebuked Joshua for worshiping him because angels do not receive worship. And there's some other things we could talk about there, but, but I just want you to understand, if you, decide, if you come to the conclusion different than mine, that's fine. Um, but I believe that, that I stand on solid ground with that this morning. Now, that being said, let's finish reading our text, and then I have a few thoughts that I want to share with you that I think are important if we're going to go forward in our walk with God. Let's read verse 14 again. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord... Am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and, and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? 
And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter 6 and verse 1, this is a parenthetical thought here. Uh, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. Then we pick up again in verse 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priest shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Now here's what I hope you take away from our time together this morning. Before we can go on, we have to give up and give in. Before we can go on, before we can go forward, We have to give up, and we have to give in. This whole scene at the close of chapter 5 is all about Joshua's full and complete surrender of himself to the leadership and the lordship of God. Joshua understood that before he could go on, that he had to give up, And he had to give in. Note how Joshua phrased his question at the close of verse 15. What saith my Lord unto his servant? Before you can hope to go forward in in your walk with God, before I can ever hope to, to gain ground in my relationship with God, then we've got to come to the same place in our lives where we recognize without reservation and without hesitation that Jesus is our Lord and we are His servants. Now what exactly does it mean for Jesus to be Lord of your life? And I'll just put it very simply. It means He's the ruler. He's the boss. He's the master of your life and I mean your whole life he cannot be Lord of just a part as a matter of fact someone has accurately said if he's not Lord of all then he's not Lord at all he must be given control of everything I'm talking the whole enchilada so what we're talking about this morning is surrender and we often talk of making Jesus Lord of our life I've even made that statement as I was studying and preparing for this this message this thought came to me 
We don't make Jesus Lord. Jesus already is Lord. Our call is to surrender to his lordship. Let me illustrate it like this. Isaac, come here. This is going to embarrass the fire out of him. Isaac Dominguez, come here. Quickly, quickly. This is Isaac's mom and dad, Mike and Elizabeth. And when you and I say, well, I'm going to make Jesus Lord of my life, it's like him coming up to them and say, you know, mom and dad, I'm going to make you the authorities in my life. Dude, they're already the authorities in your life. The only question left for, for Isaac is this, am I going to surrender to their authority? Am I, going to, am I going to do what they tell me to do? This, for Christians, it's not a matter, I'm going to make Jesus Lord. No, that's messed up. He is Lord. Thank you. The, the only question is, are you and I going to submit ourselves to his authority, to his leadership, to his lordship in our lives? Does that make sense? You tracking with me on that? The lordship of Jesus has both future and present relevance in our lives. And I wasn't here when, when Pastor Tyler preached through this section of Philippians 2. Uh, so I don't know what he said, but I'm sure what he said was right. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Paul wrote this, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Say, Pastor, what does that mean? It means this, there is coming a day when every person who has ever lived, every one of us in here this morning, will, will bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mark it down. It's going to happen. But for the Christian, that great confession should be an everyday reality. As God's people, we should live moment by moment in faithful submission to the lordship and the leadership of Jesus Christ. And here's what that means. Three quick things this morning will be done. Number one, it means absolute and total surrender. When Joshua fell on his face before the Lord, he was expressing his absolute and total surrender to him. A man by the name of F.B. Meyer was a Baptist pastor in the 19th century. And in the midst of a successful pastorate, he confessed that something was lacking in his life and in his ministry. J.H. Jowett recounts the following story. Dr. Meyer has told us that his early Christian life was marred and his ministry paralyzed just because he had kept back one thing from the bunch of keys he had given to the Lord. Every key but one. The key of one room was kept for personal use and the Lord shut out. The effect of the incomplete consecration was found in lack of power, Lack of assurance, lack of joy and peace. 
And then he said this, the joy of the Lord begins when we hand over the last key. We sit with Christ on his throne as soon as we have surrendered our crowns and made him sole and only ruler of our life and its possessions. Years ago when Pastor Tyler was just a teenager and he was wrestling with God's call on his life, I can't tell you how many times he would go to the altar at, at youth camp, and, and I would go and pray with him. And, Son, why are you coming? He said, Dad, I want to surrender my life to the Lord. I said, okay, so that means you're willing to do whatever God wants you to do. He said, yes. I said, so if God calls you to preach, you're willing to preach. He said, no. <laughs> and so I told him kindly, then you need to get up and go sit down because that's not surrender. Surrender is not how I'll do whatever you want me to do, but. I don't know how many times we went through that. But then there came a time, preaching the book of Nehemiah on a Sunday night, preaching on families, had all the families come and pray around the altar, and our family was praying around the altar. We got done, all of us stood up but him. He yanked on the bottom of my jacket. So I knelt back down. I said, son, what do you want? He said, dad, I'm ready to surrender. I said, so you're ready to preach if that's what God wants you to do? He said, yes, sir. That was the last key. That room, he wasn't willing to let God in that room. And that was the last key that he handed over to the Lord. Now, how many of you are glad this morning that he surrendered to God to preach? Amen. So let me, just, let me just ask you this this morning. Are there any rooms or areas in your life that are off limits to the Lord? Are there any areas marked private, keep out, no trespassing? Members, I don't mind serving God here, and I don't mind serving God here, and I don't mind letting God have a part of my life here, but there's, man, this is just too special. This is too important. I can't let him in here. What about your plans? Your, Jesus have the key to your plans? What about your career? What about your bank account? What about your children? What about your priorities? What about your marriage? What about your hobbies? What about your retirement? Well, when I retire, I'm going to do this, this, and Well, has Jesus had a chance to step into that closet yet? Has Jesus had an opportunity to walk in that room and say, listen, I've got, I got a different plan for you? You know what I'm saying? Are there any areas of your life where you're not willing yet to let Jesus in? If there are, then he's not Lord. We've got to be willing to give up and give in in hopes of going forward and getting in on God's best for us. I think if you ask Pastor Tyler Day, are you glad that you surrendered that night? He would say absolutely yes, because if he didn't, then he would have missed out on God's best for his life. And I'm sure there are other stories in here this morning just like that. 
Not only must there be absolute and total surrender of Jesus to be Lord, but here's the second thing this morning. There must be acknowledgement of his ownership. Acknowledgement of his ownership. When Joshua recognized himself as a servant, as a slave, if you will, he was acknowledging the ownership of the Lord and thus giving up all rights to control his own life. Paul addressed this subject in, of ownership in 1 Corinthians when he wrote, What? said, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? And here it is. And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now Paul was asking this question, what? He was asking this question by way of reminder. Most of, of the Corinthian believers knew what Paul was saying was true. They knew that. They knew that as a doctrinal truth. But I think what Paul is asking him here is, do you believe that as a functional truth? In other words, were they living out practically what they knew to be true doctrinally? I'm no doubt preaching to some this morning, this whole concept of lordship and all of that is, is new to you, and I get that. Okay, I get that. There are no doubt, I know for a fact, I'm preaching to some of you in here this morning who have been saved long enough and you're far enough in your journey with the Lord. You know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. You understand the Lordship of Christ. And, and you would agree with Philippians chapter 2. And you would say to me this morning, Pastor, I understand. Yes, Jesus is Lord. This whole illustration, you didn't have to do that this morning because I get that. I know I don't make him Lord. He's already Lord. But do you just know that as a doctrinal truth this morning? Or is it a functional truth that you live by day in and day out? You understand there's a difference. There's a biblical truth, a doctrinal truth. Well, yeah, duh. Well, you think I am an infant in the Lord? I understand the Lordship of Christ. Well, great. Are you living by that principle? Not is it just a doctrinal truth, is it a functional truth? If the truth of ownership is a functional truth with us, then it will be evident in the way we use the things that God has given us, like our bodies. We will honor God in the things that we do with our bodies. If he's Lord, if the Lordship of Christ is a functional truth and not just a doctrinal truth, then we're going to honor God with our bodies. We're going to honor God with things like our time and, and, and our possessions and our abilities. If we have truly surrendered to the Lord's ownership, then we don't use these things for ourselves only. Okay? Only. 
We, we do use these things for ourselves. I get that. But we don't just use them for ourselves, but we gladly use them for the Lord as well. Our bodies, our time, our possessions, our talents, our abilities. We, we use them to serve, to serve our families and all of that. I get that. But we don't just do it for that. We also use those things to honor God. Lordship speaks of absolute and total surrender. It means we acknowledge God's ownership. And then let me share this with you. It means unreserved obedience. Joshua's question at the, verse of, uh, the end of verse 14 is a question that we all need to ask this morning. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's what he asked at the close of that verse. Lord, what do you want me to do? Remember when Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That ought to be a daily question in our lives as believers. Lord, what do you want me to do? And I want you to get this this morning. Brother Dustin put it up there. We move forward in our spiritual growth in direct proportion to our obedience to the revealed truth of God's Word. You will only be as far along spiritually as you are in your obedience to the things that you know God teaches in His Word. And that's true for your pastor as well. I'm only going to go as far as I'm willing to obey this book. You with me? We, we read the Lord's answer to Joshua's question in, in verses 3 through 5, and, and we'll look at this next week. But Joshua did exactly what the Lord instructed him to do. They marched around one time for six days. They marched around seven times on the seventh day. They blew the trumpets. They shouted. The walls came down. We'll, we'll look at that and make some application of that next week. But the truth of the matter is, Joshua was able to move forward because he was willing to obey without reservation. And so here's the application question this morning. Has your obedience to the revealed truth of God's Word? Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying, are you, are you obeying the things that you don't even know anything about? That's not the point. And whether you just know one or two things or whether you know 102 things is irrelevant. Are you obeying the things that you do know are right according to the Word of God? So let's just run down through this. Let's pry a little bit this morning. What about when it comes to your devotional life? And some of you, no doubt, started out on fire January 1st, you got the devotional books that we offered. Man, you got into those, and day after day after day, you kept up. Well, let me ask you, where are you at? We're at the end of March now. Where are you at? Do you read your Bible? Do you pray on a daily basis? That those things aren't optional. If we're going to grow, if we're going to go forward, those things have to be a daily part of our lives. What about when it comes to witnessing? Do you ever invite people to church? Do you ever talk to people about Jesus? Church, listen. The Lord did not ask us to be witnesses. He commanded us 
to be witnesses. Witnessing and sharing our faith, inviting others to the Lord's house is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I, am I living this truth out? Is it a doctrinal truth or is this a functional truth in my life? I'm living this out on a daily basis. What about your church attendance? Are you faithful? I've seen this a lot on Facebook lately. And it's such a great truth. It's very simple. It says the more you miss church, the less you miss church. Think about that. The more you miss church, the less you miss church. If the Lord, if, if Jesus is Lord of your life, you're not going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Hebrews 10:25. Come on now, don't just leave me out here. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, a doctrinal truth for many of you you get that you understand that you know that but is it a functional truth what about your giving are you honoring god with the tithe are you giving an offering beyond that those are matters of functional truth what about when it comes to your role in marriage men are you a loving leader are you a lording leader? That's, that's not loving leadership. Listen, this book says that we are to be loving leaders, guys. So ladies, let me ask you this morning. Are you respectful, supportive companions? Listen, those, those roles balance each other out. And I'd go on and on with things just like that and make some of you more angry than you are now. But why would I want to do that? Listen, you, some of you have been here long enough. We, we're, we're not going to cut any corners when it comes to the Word of God. Okay? And we have a responsibility. Challenge God's people to be better, to do more. Go forward. And I hope you understand my heart today. I'm not I'm mad at anybody. I just think we need to talk about these things sometimes. Jesus raised an important question in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46 when he asked this. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Mm. That's a real determiner between whether the lordship of christ is a doctrinal belief or a functional belief why call you me lord lord and you don't do the things that i ask you to do you simply will not go any farther in your walk with the lord until you're willing to give him unreserved obedience And I'll close with this story. Somebody say amen. Well, at least it wasn't too overwhelmingly enthusiastic. <laughs> Graham Scroggie was another 
a Baptist pastor in the 19th century. I don't know what it was about these 19th century guys, but they needed Jesus, I guess. But you know, he's a Baptist preacher. And after preaching a sermon in England on this subject, this topic, the Lordship of Christ, he was approached by a, a young lady who was deeply stirred by, by his message. And her story was somewhat like Pastor Tyler's was early on in his life. She said, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life but I'm afraid God's going to call me to the mission field and I don't want to go. At that point, Dr. Scroggy opened his Bible to Acts chapter 10, and we'll not take time to do that this morning, but here's what Acts 10 is about. It's about God's call of Peter to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, to fully appreciate that, you have to understand, Peter was a Jew. They didn't do anything with the Gentiles, let alone preach the gospel to them. The Gentiles were considered unclean. We don't have anything to do with a Gentile. They want to get to heaven and find their own way. They can go to hell for all I'm concerned. And that was the attitude of the Jews toward the Gentiles. And yet God calls Peter to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And he did it through a vision that he gave Peter. And in this vision, the Jews were also very particular about what they ate, according to the law. And... And that's a, that's a, it would, it's a bad day to be a Jew when you can have bacon. It's a bad day. Just a bad day. Bacon. I brush my teeth with bacon. Mmm. Man food. But I digress. So the Lord, uh, he shows Peter this vision, this sheep coming down. And in this sheep are all kinds of of. Animals that provide meat that the Jews were forbidden to take part of. You with me? And so Jesus says to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. To which Peter answered, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Dr. Scroggy then said to this young lady, a slave never dictates to a master. Therefore, not so, Lord, was disrespectful. He said, I want you to cross out the two words, not so, and leave the word Lord, or I want you to cross out the word Lord and leave the two words, not so. And then he handed her his pencil and quietly walked away. For some time, she struggled with that. When Dr. Scroggy returned, he looked over her shoulder. And he saw a tear-stained page with the words, Not so, crossed out. And with great gladness, she, she replied, she repeated, Lord, Lord, Lord. She was now his disciple, and Jesus was her Lord and master. Now before we close, let's go back real quick to our text. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not, but when Joshua asked that man the question, are you for us or are you for the enemy? Did you notice the answer? Nay. No. Neither. 
You know what that tells us this morning? Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. No, I'm not for you. I'm not for them. I am Lord. You're asking the wrong question, son. The question is, are you for me? So here's the deal this morning. Either you are surrendered to Jesus as Lord, or it's not so. You can't have it both ways. So which is it in your life? Lord, or not so? Let's pray.